Masechet Yomad Daf 78, uh, we're talking about the various inrim on Shabbat, the uh, afflictions, the five afflictions. Uh, we were just talking about some exceptions to the law of washing. So uh, if you need to get to uh, somewhere important, like to go to the, to the class, to go to visit the rabbi, uh, and there's a river in between, you are allowed on Yom Kippur to pass through the river, even up to your neck. And uh, because you're not washing for comfort, uh, but rather you just need to get to where you want to go. Uh, so that was the halacha that we saw. Uh, what we're going to see right now is apply the same law, uh, ask the question, does it apply to Shabbat? And then we're going to talk about cooling down on Shabbat, various ways of cooling down. And we're going to get to the interesting topic of non-leather shoes, very important topic, uh, wearing those on, on Yom Kippur. Cooling down, I said, yeah, I meant on Yom Kippur. Okay, so we know that you're allowed to pass through a river on, on Yom Kippur. Question is, are you allowed to pass through a river on Shabbat? So we say, Why would you think not? I mean, Yom Kippur, there's a prohibition of washing. So we understand why you might think that would be a problem. Uh, but why would it be a, a problem on Shabbat? On Shabbat, there's no issue of uh, washing in, in cold water. On Shabbat, is a different problem that you're wearing shoes. And uh, we're afraid that if you're passing through the water, a shoe might, or, or a sandal might fall off, and then you may carry it. That's the question. So here's the answer. Amar Nechemiah So here we have a story that Nechemiah, who was the son-in-law of the Nasi, Nasi is the, the patriarch, the head of the, of the community in Israel. And he said, I saw myself, Rabbi Ameh and Rabbi Aseh, they went through a pool of water um, on Shabbat and they were wearing shoes. So therefore, it's not a problem. You don't have to worry about the shoes falling off. Okay, fine. We accept that and we say that makes sense regarding shoes that are tied on tightly. Tenach min al. Sandal mai What about just the sandal? That's not, uh, not, not tied on as well, and it's more likely that it will fall off. Amar Rav Rihumi, Anna Hazitev Ravina, Davar Derech Malbush. So Rav Rihumi testifies, I saw Ravina, remember that name, Ravina, he passed through water on Shabbat, and he was just wearing a sandal. So therefore, it must be that Ravina thinks it's permitted. Ravashe Amar Sandal Lechatechila, La Ravashe, however, disagrees and says, um, a sandal you should not wear on Shabbat walking through water. If it's a shoe and it's tied on fine, good, good, that's fine. But, but uh, a sandal, uh, in the first instance, you should try not to do that. Okay, good. So now we know the law regarding shoe. It seems everybody says it's fine to walk in water on Shabbat. But regarding sandal, Ravina did it. Rav Ravashe says, try not to do it. Now we have a story. Resh Galuta. The Resh Galuta is called the Exilarch. He's the head of the community in Babel, the counterpart of, of the Nasi. Um, just like the Nasi, the Tzotu Zeresh Galuta, often he was a sage, but sometimes he wasn't as great a sage as the rest of the rabbis. And sometimes there was some tension because he's the political head also. Uh, there could be some tension between the rabbis and the Resh Galuta. Uh, so that's going to come up in this story. So, He once went to the study hall in this place called Hagronia. Uh, Rav Natan's uh, Bet Midrash. Um, and he taught there. Not only taught, he gave a public lecture, a public official lecture. We mentioned it yesterday also. 
is one where you expect everybody to come. All the, the, all the lay people, all the rabbis and colleagues and students, everybody comes. And if you don't come, then the teacher gets very insulted. Like, oh, what happened? So everybody came. Ravina didn't come to his, his class. So the next day, another rabbi, uh, um, uh, another rabbi, who was there, he, he, he went to the lecture. He saw that the Resh Galuta is angry and he wanted to uh, make peace between Ravina, who didn't show up to the lecture, and the Resh Galuta, who gave the lecture. So Ravina goes and says, Did you have a good excuse? You know, what happened? I'll, Relay it to him on, on your behalf. Why, how come the master didn't come to the lecture yesterday? This is my, my foot was hurting. It was Shabbat. Uh, so, okay. He has an excuse. Then you should have put on shoes, right? Put on shoes and then you could walk even and your foot won't hurt. So he says, no, it was the back of my foot, my, my ankle and the shoe, putting on the shoe would have hurt uh, also. So Raphram says, should have wore a sandal, you know, open back sandal. And then it would have been, you would have been fine. No, there was a pool of water on the way. And so I would have had to pass through a pool of water on Shabbat. And, you know, then I would worry that I could fall off. I might come to carry it. Um, uh, so he says, uh, you should have uh, worn it and uh, right, and then uh, you don't have to worry about it if you're wearing it, uh, tie it on good, and then you won't have a problem. Ravina says, Don't you, didn't you hear what the other master said? Ravashe said that, uh, Right, Abinishio, you should not walk in water on Shabbat with a sandal. So I want those uh, Mahmir. I was following his opinion. See, so I have a good excuse. Now, here's what's so interesting. We just saw before a testimony that Abinah himself did walk through water with a sandal on, right? So he actually disagreed with Abasheh. In general, he was permissive. So it seems from here that he really was just trying to find an excuse not to attend the lecture. And therefore, the Resh Galuta probably had good reason to be angry. Rafram is trying to make peace and he keeps giving, you know, no, I, you know, my, I know the foot, I had an injury, it was on my back, I couldn't, right? Oh, I followed up Asher all of a sudden and I uh, had to be Mahmir. Okay, so this is a fun story. It gives us an insight into some of the, some of the politics and tensions uh, between the sages then. So there's nothing new. All right, Tane Yehuda Bar Gero Garot. Um, here is a Braita taught by this sage, Yehuda Bar Gero Garot. Asur Lashev Al Gabet Tina, Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippur, it could be hot out, especially in Israel. And so different ways that people had to try to cool off. One of them was to sit on damp clay. Um, I imagine we wouldn't do this and get dirty, but we know we have, we have air conditioning too. So I uh, sit on something damp. Um, he says, no, it's not, not permitted. Uh, let's see why. This is only if the clay is, is dripping wet. Only if it's so wet that it makes something else wet enough that that will in turn make other things wet. So in other words, this is a form of washing, even though it's not just water, it's very wet clay. And uh, that uh, is, uh, has the same 
uh, similar enjoyment to washing. Uh, maybe like when you go to the Dead Sea and you put, put mud on, on you. Amar Abayeu betofeach, amen, Amar Avihuda, mutal histanen beperot. Another way people would cool off is you get some fruit and uh, you put the fruit, you put it on your, on your forehead. You know, maybe the fruit was in the, in the cold cellar, right? Teta uh, uh, used to have a cold cellar, a cold room. It was really cold, right? So the fruit, maybe the juice in it stays uh, cooler than the rest of the temperature. So that's, that's okay. Um, and, uh, you know, even there's juice inside, but you're not washing with it. So it's not a problem. Um, here's another way. Rav Yehuda misanen bechara. Rav Yehuda would cool himself off with, with a squash. I was thinking more citrus fruits, but um, I guess a squash could work also. Rabah mistanen binuka. Here's an interesting one. Rabah would cool off with a baby. He would get, get a bring that. I'm so hot. Bring that baby over here. I don't know. I think usually a baby is uh, warm, right? Right. It's uh, body temperature is higher, but uh, so uh, maybe baby. You know, babies sometimes they don't don't wear so much clothes. Maybe they're washed because babies are allowed to wash. We'll get to that, and they're cool. I think there's a better explanation. The Geonim say it's not talking about a baby, but rather a baby bottle. Uh, baby, so it has cool liquid in it, right? So, um, I mean, they didn't have like latex, but it was more like a sippy cup, something with a, a very small uh, opening that uh, the baby could suck on. So that would, that would be, since it has liquid in it, it would be cool. And also you wouldn't have to worry about spilling so that you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't get wet. And that makes sense in context, because look at the next items. Ravami sanen de chaspa. Rava would cool off with a silver cup. Now, silver actually makes sense. It feels cold because it conducts heat, so it draws heat away from your body. And then he adds, If it's totally full of liquid, that's not allowed because then it might spill and then that liquid will go on you and then you'll be washing. But if it's not full, even if it has some liquid in it, that's okay. If it's half full, half full, three quarters full, but just not so much that it's going to spill. Uh, if it's a ceramic cup, then it's not permitted either way, whether if it's full or not, because a ceramic uh, cup, the uh, water seeps through and ends up being wet on the outside uh, also. Um, they, you know, we, we learned a lot about ceramic and how it absorbs taste. So it seems the way that they made them uh, that back then was it was a little bit porous. Um, good. And so regarding the, the silver, Rav uh, Asher said, even the silver is not okay. It says Rav. Um, I'm not sure why it says Rav Asher. Okay. Anyway, um, Rav says, even the silver cup, uh, even if it's not full, is not allowed. It has to be empty. Can't have any water in it because also because it's uh, slippery and it might fall and then the water and then the water inside will go on you so then you'll be end up washing okay so in general you want to make sure you're not getting any liquid on you that will be washing on Yom Kippur but items that are cool to the touch that is they're they're fine you can use them to cool off good now Zaira Bar Chama Okay, so this rabbi called Ze'ed Abar Chama, and he was a good host. He used to invite lots of people to his home, and he had over, probably at different times, not all at the same time, to be Ahmed, to be Aseb Yishob ben Levi, the sages of Kesaria. Uh, there was a whole Yeshiva in Kesaria. They seemed to have their own uh, 
their own study hall, their own way of studying. Um, okay. And anyway, this host once told Rav Yosef, the son of one of the rabbis who used to host all the time. And he said, Bad Adir, the son of a lion. I mean, he's giving a praise. Your father was, well, your father was like a lion. He was, yeah, he was great, great in Torah. Come here, I want to tell you something, a good idea, good advice that your father used to do. Before Yom Kippur, he would take a towel and he would soak it in water and then he would make it like dry, probably means like he would wring it out and he would leave it for the next day. On the next day, he would wash his hands, his face, and his feet. Uh, in other words, the towel was still damp, and that way um, it's not dripping water, so you're not washing, but you want to do something to freshen yourself and cool, cool yourself down in the morning, and so you're allowed to do this. This is good advice till today, right? A lot of people uh, will, will do this, and they'll get uh, a, a towel that they used before that's still damp, and you can uh, use that to, uh, to, to clean off a little Oh, very good. That's going to come up. So if you're you're going to squeeze it, you got to make sure to squeeze it before Yom Kippur. So before Yom Kippur, soak it, squeeze it, leave it. And then by the next day, it'll be dry enough that it's not dripping any water, but damp enough that it will uh, will be helpful. So that's for Yom Kippur. For Yom Kippur, he would do something similar. It looks like it's slightly different. He would soak it in water. It doesn't say he would make it dried out. So for your, um, uh, Yom Kippur, which is Doraita, he would be more machmir about washing. And Tisha uh, B'Av is Rabbanan, so he wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't. Um, on the other hand, it looks like he's more machmir regarding Tisha B'Av in one way. On Tisha B'Av, he would just put it on his eyes, not wash, not, not clean his hands and feet. And whole face. So maybe Tisha B'Av is in a way is more machmir because it's a much sadder day. And so it's really you want to feel the suffering more than Yom Kippur, right? So each day has its uh, different considerations, but he did a, a similar uh, thing on both days. Uh, Shabbat, maybe you could squeeze the water, right? So it could be, uh, uh, right, maybe you could squeeze it on the next day. That's why he didn't do it the night before. Maybe he squeezed it the next day. Um, so uh, we're going to have now another another story, another rabbi who does something very similar, uh, slightly different configuration. Before Tisha B'Av starts, you could bring a towel and you soak it in water. And he puts it under his head, um, maybe to keep his head cool or to keep it somewhat damp. Next day, washes his face, hands, and feet. So this rabbi would wash his hands and face and feet on, on Tisha B'Av. It seems he's a little bit more lenient about Tisha B'Av. But on Yom Kippur, they would bring him the towel and he would put it in water, but he would make it dry beforehand. Probably means wringing it out. The next day he would only put his on his eyes. In other words, according to this, Yom Kippur, since it's the Oraita, is much more machmir. Ring it out and only put it on your eyes. Tisha B'Av is a little bit more lenient, so you could wash uh, other parts of the body too. 
So Rabbi Yaakov reminds him, says, actually, you once taught us the opposite. Um, what you just told us about Yom Kippur is what you, you, you told us about Tisha B'Av, that you would ring it out. And then we told you, wait, on Yom Kippur, don't do that because it would be ringing out. So that's right. It would, would, would be a problem of ringing out if it was on Yom Kippur itself. So if you're going to do this, make sure to, do, uh, to ring it out before Yom Kippur starts. Okay, good. Now we're going to get to a question that is not relevant to Yom Kippur at all, but it's only because these rabbis asked two questions. The second one is related to Yom Kippur. So we're going to be, go on a little tangent. We're talking about the firstborn animal. Firstborn of a kosher animal has to go to the Kohen. If it's unblemished, then the Kohen sacrifices it and they can eat the rest of it. If it has a blemish, like a missing a limb or something, uh, or a bad cut, something like that, then the Kohen can take it for himself and he can just he doesn't have to sacrifice it. So you see, it's actually better for the Kohen if it gets a blemish, right? Now, during the times of the Bet HaMikdash, they, you know, they would try to, for it to not to get a blemish so that they could sacrifice it. When there's no more Bet HaMikdash, you can't sacrifice it anyway. So even if it had no blemish, they would let it go graze and wait till it got a blemish. And then they said, oh, look, it has a blemish. Now we can use it, right? So uh, therefore, it's, since it's in the best interest of the Kohen to get a blemish, we don't trust them so much about this. So um, at, also the laws of blemishes are very subtle, like a certain thing in the eye and the lip, right? What exactly is called a blemish and what is not? You have to be trained for this. Now, therefore, um, you, uh, they made a law that you have to get certified, certified from the Nasi, the patriarch, right? You have to go to him and say, do I have permission to uh, check out animals? So all that we assume already. Now here's the question. If you have an elder who's sitting in yeshiva, in other words, he's part of the betin, he's part of the Sanhedrin, right? He's already he's well known. Does he also have to go and get permission from the nasi to authorization uh, in order to, uh, to, to uh, uh, check bechorot or not? Okay, what are the two sides of the question? Here's what the question is. On the one hand, maybe we gave this um, authorization, uh, authority to the Nasi, that he, only he can say who is authorized to do this, because we want to give them glory to the, to the Nasi. And if that's the case, then yes, even an elder who everybody knows, he's the Gadol Ador and everything, Nevertheless, we would require him to go through the process in order to show honor to the Nasi. That's one side of the question. Or maybe, since everybody knows he's a world expert, he's, uh, he's sitting on the Sanazin, he's, uh, he's already a, 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 a judge, therefore, it's not necessary. And uh, right, you don't have to go through the formality if it's someone that you know. In other words, is this only for... Uh, to give honor, or is there a substantive reason? And if it's substantive, then we know we know this this judge is trustworthy and is knowledgeable. That's the question. And now we're going to answer with a story. Okay, 
ועמד במעלה מזקנו של זה, ונטל רשות להתיר בכורות. Says I, Rabbi Sadok ben Chalukah stands on his feet and says, I saw this man named Rabbi Yosef ben Zimra, and he was an elder, meaning he was a respected judge, and he, he sat in the yeshiva, um, and he went up to the grandfather of the current nasi, as he's remembering an old story, and he got permission to permit bechorot. So therefore, you see from this story that even an elder, a recognized judge, nevertheless has to get permission to give glory to, from, to, to the nasi. Okay, good. So that we answer in the affirmative. But then we have another version of the same story that is very different, that is not actually not conclusive. But my little Abba. That was not the story. Sometimes these old stories, you know, uh, you get uh, right, right. You got you, you messed up, miss miss some of the some of the details. The He was not an elder judge. He was a he was the kohen. And the question was as follows: since he was a Kohen and he wanted to receive the, uh, the, the, the animal and, and check it, you know, he, he knew how to check things, but can you trust the Kohen to check animals? This is a subject of a machloket. According to the first opinion to be Meir, someone who is suspected regarding some matter cannot, uh, test of, cannot uh, judge it and cannot testify in, in that regard. Therefore, no Kohen is allowed to check animals for blemishes because they stand to benefit. I mean, uh, we, hopefully most Kohanim will be, uh, will be honest, but since they're involved in it, like a relative, uh, cannot testify. Um, however, the other opinion is Bishop Mamagamaliel. He says, if, it's, if, the, if, if, it's, if you're the Kohen and it's your animal, then you cannot judge it. But if you're a Kohen and you're judging someone else's and another Kohen's animal, that's fine, right? Right. So, um, and that was the question. And um, and we decided that the Lacha is, in fact, the more lenient opinion. You can't judge about your own monetary benefit, but you can judge about another Kohen's monetary benefit. But really, that has nothing to do with an elder asking permission from an Asi. The story had nothing to do with that, and therefore, it's inconclusive in that regard. Okay, that was the tangent, and now we get back to the main question. Is one allowed to go out on Yom Kippur with sandals made out of cork uh, or other you know, natural materials, non-leather? That's the question. This is good, very important, very relevant. From the discussion yesterday, the Mishnah just sounded like you can't wear shoes, and all the proofs it was bringing were uh, that you walk barefoot, that just walking barefoot, that is the Inui. It sounds, it sounds from that that you'd have to be barefoot. Um, but, or, so is it that? Is, it, is that the suffering, or is it not wearing shoes? So that's the question. And Ahmad Rabbi Yisak Bar Nachman Yad Raglav Amar Ani Ra'iti Et Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi She Asab Sandal Shosham Biyom Akipurim. So Rabbi Yisak says, I so he stand up on his feet. When you stand up, it means like you're testifying, right? This is you know this is a real story. It's uh, you can rely on it. I saw Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi that he walked on Shabbat with sandals made out of cork. So therefore, it's permitted. 
Not only did I see him, I had a conversation with him about it. How about a ta'anit? This is good, relevant to today, right? On a fast day, not like to, uh, today you're allowed to wear shoes, but in those days, if it didn't rain for a long time, they would institute progressively more stringent fast days, right? Have a whole set of regular fast days like today, half fast. And then they would go into a long one that you can't wear shoes and the other inuyim. Um, it was a very serious thing. If it didn't rain and it's already, you know, getting late in the season uh, into winter. So everybody was very worried that they would, nothing would grow. And so she uh, says, I know that I see on Yom Kippur, but how about on the other public fast days? He might have, in other words, there was a thought that maybe the other public fast days are even more stringent than Yom Kippur because they're like life or death situations. If it doesn't rain, um, you know, they won't have anything to eat. So that was the question. And the answer was no different. You're allowed to wear cork shoes on, uh, on Yom Kippur and on other fast days. So here you go, it is allowed. Another similar story. Um, this rabbi saw Rabbi Lazar from Nineveh. Interesting, there was a rabbi from Nineveh up in uh, Syria. And he was wearing a, 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 non, a, a cork sandal on a Ta'anit Sibur, on a public fast day. Ramin Aleb, Yom Kippur Mai, is this only the Rabbanan fast day? How about Yom Kippur, which is Doraita? Would it also be allowed? Amai Lelo Shena, no problem, no difference. Yes, it's allowed. Okay, so good. So far, we um, have uh, several opinions, even more. Rav Yudan Nafek Bedi Bid Hitne. Rav Yudan went out in sandals made out of reeds. Abaye Nafek Bid Huse. Abaye went out in sandals made out of palm fibers. Rava went out with reeds, also reeds, braided. Maybe, maybe it wasn't fully a shoe, maybe just some kind of wrapping that protected the foot. Rava would uh, wrap a scarf around his feet and go out. So not really a whole shoe, but just like socks. Uh, Right, it sounds like lots of different materials. Some of them are uh, described as, in fact, shoes. Some of them are described as just, uh, just wrapping, uh, or sandals or wrapping, but not made out of leather. And uh, those are permitted. Okay, good. So is it anything but leather? So wood might be an exception. Now we're gonna talk about wood. Um, this is now talking about Shabbat. Are you allowed to go outside on Shabbat with a prosthetic leg, right, or a, a fake foot? Um, so Rabbi Meir says it's permitted because um, you're you're wearing it. It's a you know that's that's your shoe, right? Even if it's a even if it's a whole leg, that, so that's fine. Rabbi says says no, it's not permitted. This is not considered something. It's not considered a piece of clothing. It's not like your foot. It's not a uh, uh, utensil, um, and so therefore, no, it's no good. That's considered carrying. Okay, betani Allah. And when we learned that, this is what we said about it. Both opinions agree that you can't use them on Yom Kippur. They're considered wearing shoes on Yom Kippur, even though they're not made out of leather. They're made out of wood. Okay, so this is very interesting. This is no, no, no. The only reason that was permitted over there was a different one is because they put rags between his leg and the prosthetic leg. 
and the rags are, are, are very soft and comfortable. And so um, that's the reason why it was not permitted, because it was done in a very comfortable way. Um, and, uh, and that's why, but not really because it's, uh, uh, but not really because it's a, a shoe. Um, so uh, Ravad disagrees on multiple counts. You'll see how, how strongly he disagrees. Hold on. If you're saying it's not actually a garment, it's not a shoe, then because you add rags to it, that makes it a shoe? Like what, you know, wh- who, why would you call that a shoe just because there are rags? And if you don't put rags, then it's, then it's okay. It's a shoe or it's not a shoe. And besides, anything that's enjoyable, but it's not a shoe, it's permitted. If you want to put on a headband and you, that's uh, comfortable, you want to put on a silk shirt and it's comfortable, you're allowed to do other things. Oh, it's only shoes. So just because he's putting some rags on the, the stump of his leg and it's comfortable, that shouldn't be prohibited. Look at the last rabbi we mentioned before. He put... He put um, uh, scarfs around his feet, and he would go out and walk like that. With nobody, nobody said any, any had any problem with him, right? Uh, it, it, that law is specifically wearing shoes on Yom Kippur. This doesn't count. The end of that Baraita said, if the uh, prosthetic foot has uh, a space inside and that you could put rags in, then it can become tameh. There's a general rule that anything that's a utensil that has uh, uh, um, an inside area that could hold something, then it, since it's a utensil, if something tameh touches it, it can become tameh. If not, if it's just flat, then it does not become tameh. So uh, since that, that's mentioned in the Sefa, we can infer that the case in the beginning that we're actually talking about is a case where it does not have space for rags. So there wouldn't be any space for rags anyway. And if, if there were, so what? What's wrong with putting right rags on? And if you put rags on, it doesn't make it a shoe. So for four different reasons, Dava rejects that and therefore says it's not a problem. Ela Marava. So then that also would depend on what about, we're about to say. Uh, now, it really, everybody agrees that it is, in fact, a shoe. This is considered a shoe. Now, what's the question? If it's a shoe, why would anyone, why would Rav Yosef say that you can't wear it on Shabbat? One opinion says, well, it's a shoe, but it may come off, and then you're going to carry it. Other one says, no, it's no problem. You tie it on good, and you're not going to carry it. But in fact, everybody agrees that it is, in fact, a shoe. So therefore, the machloket is only regarding the Shabbat. On Yom Kippur, since it's considered a shoe, uh, according to everyone, you're not allowed to wear a shoe. So therefore, it doesn't matter if you put rags or not rags. It's a, it's a shoe. It doesn't matter how comfortable or not comfortable. It is considered a shoe. So the chidush here is that even though it's made out of wood, since that is a re- that's a... Uh, 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 considered a, uh, categorized as a shoe, it's not permitted. So according to this, um, uh, uh, this is uh, uh, following Rashi's interpretation, uh, leather would be prohibited and wood also would be prohibited. Other Rishonim, however, say no. It must be, it's talking about some kind of wood that's wrapped in leather, right? That would be a, that would be a problem. But if it's just wood, it's okay. So um, according to those poskim, only leather shoes are a problem. If it does have wood in it, it's okay. All right, and now, uh, next topic, which is children. 
Children are allowed for with all of these afflictions. They're allowed to eat and drink and wash and anoint with oil. Except for wearing leather shoes. Even kids cannot wear leather shoes on Shabbat. I wonder what do people do? Do people uh, worry? Well, we, 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 the kids wear sneakers, right? We, we do. We try to make sure our kids uh, uh, don't, don't wear leather shoes also. Why? Why is this different from the others? Because people will look at him and say, oh, it must be an adult. Put the shoe on for him. Now, in general, children are not chayavim b'misvot. If a child eats something not kosher, right, they, 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 they're not, uh, there's no punishment and there's no prohibition for a child. However, an adult can't feed a child non-kosher food. So therefore, if someone sees a child wearing a leather shoe, they say, that child, he doesn't know how to put a shoe on himself. It must be the adult. Put the shoe on. Put the shoe on for him. And therefore, that, uh, therefore that it's, it's, a, it's a problem. Okay, now what about the other ones? You see a kid nice washed, his hair is, is all combed and good. They're going to say, this kid can't wash himself. Probably an adult uh, washed him. No, the other two, you don't know exactly when. You see a kid who has, uh, you know, a nice uh, oil on his uh, skin or wash. It's maybe from from yesterday. And he's still clean. He still looks nice. You don't know for sure when he did it. But, uh, okay. So now how about shoes? You'll say the same thing. Maybe put the shoes on from before. Sandal name. Amar me etmol abdile. No, sandal lo efshad me etmol abdile. No, no one puts shoes on from the day before. Shemuel said it in a witty way. If, if you want to taste what, what death is like, then put on shoes before you go to sleep, right? It's a horrible, horrible feeling, right? I remember my, my father used to say that in the army because uh, you had the laces, you had to lace them all the way up and you had to be ready early in the morning, the boots. So you would sometimes sleep in your boots. Oh, some guys, some guys would sleep in their boots. Right, that way yeah, when you wake up at uh, you know, five in the morning and you're all ready to go. All right. <laughs> okay. But that's not, that's not very comfortable. And therefore, this is different uh, from the others. Okay, hold on. This whole thing doesn't make sense. The, the, the Mishnah that we mentioned before says, said, Children are permitted totally in everything. You don't have to, you're allowed to feed kids on Yom Kippur. You don't have to, you know, put food and let them eat themselves. Now, all these things are totally allowed. So, so what if someone says, oh, maybe the, maybe the, the parent washed them. Okay, you're allowed to wash them. It wouldn't be a problem anyway. You're allowed to wash children on, on, on Yom Kippur. Rather, the sages decreed against doing things that are unnecessary for a child's growth. But if a child needs them for growth, then you're allowed to do them. So wearing shoes or not wearing shoes, if a kid doesn't wear shoes for a day, uh, they'll be fine. It's not going to affect them. Um, but the other things, eating, drinking, washing, it's very healthy and uh, anointing. They need that for their well-being. And therefore, those things are allowed. So that's the difference between shoes and everything else. And here's a proof that uh, it's, it's important to do these other things for children. says, my mother told me. So about a stepmother. His mother died when he was a baby, and his stepmother brought him up, and she was uh, very wise. 
and she had a lot of good advice. Rabbi is always quoting her. And she said, If you want a child to grow up well, yeah, he needs hot water, a hot bath, and uh, an oil to smear on his skin every, uh, 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 every day. Um, okay. Uh, if when he grows up a little, um, he should have, uh, uh, he should eat eggs with kutach. Kutach is a, a dish made with uh, milk and, uh, and bread. That's uh, that's uh, uh, spoiled. Not spoiled. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, like yeah, yogurt. Pickled. Yeah, it means he means uh, fermented, like a, like a yogurt. Uh, this is very good. Eggs and this uh, and this yogurt you should eat. Um, that's good for his growth. When he grows up more, um, he needs uh, some vessels to break. You should get him some cheap clay vessels to break. In other words, you know, kids, they have a lot of energy. They want to get out their, their energy and they need things to, to play with and to break. Okay, that's, I guess, good advice. Um, and we have a story, Rabba. He bought some uh, cheap, very crack, already cracked ceramic vessels for his children and they would play with them and break them for fun. And uh, that's good for children to get out some of their energy that way. All right, and now last thing uh, on the daf is going back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah mentioned uh, a couple of exceptions and said that um, uh, a melech and kala, a king and a bride, they're allowed to wash their, their faces on Yom Kippur to look nice. Um, and also a haya, someone who gave birth within 30 days is allowed to wear shoes. And we'll see why right now. And that was all considered the opinion of Rabbi Eli Ayazir, permitted all those. And then it says, Chachamim Osrim. The rabbis say no. And we were wondering, Chachamim Osrim, is that only on the last one, the, the one the mother who gave birth, or do they disagree on all three, the white, the bride, the, uh, the, the bride and the king also? So we're going to see now they disagree on all three. So that's what we ask. Matitin Maneh, the one who says it's permitted, whose opinion is it? who said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer. So it's Rabbi Eliezer that permits these three things. Here's a Braita that elaborates on the Mishnah. The first Tanakama says, a king and a bride cannot wash their hands. There's no exception, their face. No exception for them. So says, yes, a king, a bride and a king are allowed to wash their faces. On Yom Kippur. Even though you're not allowed to wash, these two are allowed. We'll see why. No one is allowed to wear shoes, not even a, a, someone who gave birth, a mother who gave birth recently. Rebbe disagrees on that and says they are permitted. So Rebbe is lenient on all three items. Hachamim are uh, uh, stringent on all three items. Now why? It says in Yeshaya chapter 33, happens to be that we quoted from this chapter yesterday. So um, uh, maybe it's, uh, no, I'm not sure if it's coincidence or not. Anyway, the Pasuk says, a king shall be seen in his beauty. The king represents the whole nation. And if people see the king all disheveled, uh, it doesn't reflect well on the country. So a king has to look nice, and the king is allowed to therefore wash. Why a bride? 
meaning, uh, you know, uh, um, within 30 days of when, her, of her, when she got married, that her husband shouldn't see her and say, oh, look at this, uh, uh, my uh, ugly bride, right? We don't want him, we don't want him to be happy uh, when, after he first gets married and be excited. So she is allowed for that reason to, uh, to wash her face. How long is someone considered a kala? We have another law that a bride is allowed to wear jewelry, perfume, even 30 days. Even if she might be in mourning, and a mourner generally can't, she's allowed um, so that uh, she should be beloved to her husband. And finally, um, a woman who recently gave birth is allowed to wear shoes because... Uh, she may get cold. If she goes barefoot on the floor, she might get cold and she's, uh, her, her, uh, her body, her immune system is weak. And so we want to make sure she stays healthy. He has, if the scorpion's around, that's very dangerous, and they're on the floor, then anyone is allowed to wear shoes, even on Yom Kippur, to avoid the danger of scorpions. What you see from here is that generally... On Yom Kippur, they went barefoot, right? Yeah. These uh, other rabbis who, you know, found some other way, uh, reeds and cork, you know, they were rather exceptional. Um, okay, scorpions, because they crawl on the floor and they're deadly. So, uh, you know, for, for obviously, uh, for anything that's like a would be permitted. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'Amen.